Hey, welcome to the Extra Podcast. My name is Daniel Mark, and I'm joined around the table by Greg Harris, wearing a plaid shirt. Do you have any other shirts other than plaid, Greg? I do. I have. He just doesn't wear them. <laughs> I have. I have many other shirts besides plaid. I, I do. You do have the uh, the the Bell um, Whitecaps jersey. Yep. That you bust out when it's yep. Whitecaps season. Yep. And you want to talk soccer around the office? You'll wear caps. that. Go caps. Go caps. Uh, Go ice caps. I have I have lots of shirts of various styles. This one is plaid, and you're right about that. Hey guys, I'm on the show. Uh, Andy Steiger, good to be here. Hey guys, on the show also we have Andy Steiger. I'm not wearing plaid. Mm. Good to be here. Mm. Andy, you. Uh, what else do you do at Northview? Like part of your role is I feel like because, adults. I've, because I've made fun of you, you are looking for something to make fun of me about. No, why? No, Andy, he's trying to ask a question. This Have is a you, dialogue. This is a podcast. This is, I'm turning the other cheek from the plaid thing. <laughs> okay. What do you want, what do you want to know, Greg? The real, my real question was, it's like conference is coming soon. Right? Was that a softball? Yeah. Hey, uh, Paul J's Canada Conference is happening March 2-3. I do have the privilege of uh, overseeing the Apologetics Canada Conference. and uh, You yeah. are the director of Apologetics Canada. And uh, and you know what? It's going to be a great great conference. One of the things that's really cool this year is uh, we've had more interest than ever, and that constantly amazes me. I'm, 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 I guess I... Uh, Maybe I'm just not very optimistic, but I'm just imagining, you know, eventually people are going to be tired of this conference thing. Mm, I, but I know, right? <laughs> uh, there it is. He was waiting. He got it in, Greg. Congratulations. I'm, just, I'm joking. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we've already had 800 people uh, register. That's we've, awesome. We've only got room for a couple hundred more. And, uh, the, yeah, it'll be it'll be sold out. And one of the things I'm, I'm excited about that we haven't done before we're doing this year mm. is we're doing a dialogue on the Friday night with Andy Bannister, he's a Christian, and he's going to be dialoguing on the question of a foundation for human rights with one of the um, with a guy by the name of Justin Trottier, who is uh, a, a secular humanist. And so, this is going to be an important conversation to have. I mean these these are water cooler conversations these days. I was just talking to somebody uh, recently that was having a conversation with with one of her co-workers on the question of uh, doctor assisted death. I mean, these are questions that we are talking about. And if we want to understand the foundations of these conversations uh, from both sides, what a great, great opportunity to do that. Hmm. Come out. Hey, so you're, um, you're doing a lot of work, Human Project and that kind of stuff. You going to throw me another softball? Well, no, here, here's, my, here's my question for you, which is going to be un, unpopular, a bit of an unpopular take, is... I, I actually think that, and I'm going to preface this by saying I watched the Super Bowl and I'm a football fan, so this is me like working out this issue live on air. Mm. I actually think that the only reason we, we can watch football is because, to some degree, we dehumanize the players. Like when you, when you see the injuries that take place, not just to their knees and their arms, but the, the head injuries— and you read some of the stories and you hear some of the stories from these people's families and the, the decline that their health goes in as, as still young 
men in their 40s because of their traumatic brain injuries. There are there are 21st century gladiator, aren't they? And yet we watch and we celebrate and we we do this. And I think it's because we don't really treat them as people. Well, it was it's interesting you bring that up because a, a number of NFL players have been also challenging the the dehumanization aspect of fantasy football and <laughs> treating characters, uh, you know, not as, as people, but as stats. Mm. Uh, so I think that, that's an interesting comment that is being seen even by the players. Well, especially because okay. those guys would get heat from like fans getting all mad at them because they only got four catches and 53 yards. And if they had six catches and 72 yards, they would have won their fantasy football game. Exactly. Okay. But sorry, you guys are yelling at me. I couldn't hear you over the sound of my $14 million a year that I make in the NFL. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I, th- I think there's a lot of people, this is just me playing devil's advocate. There's a lot of people who in the NFL make a lot of money. And if you want to, they're okay with actually maybe some of the injuries they're going to sustain because they have a chance of making a lot of cash while in it. And you're set for life. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, no doubt the reason, there's reasons behind why. The gladiators would want to go into the ring, the the praise, the financial gains, all that kind of stuff. I'm just asking. I, I just think even the way that they'll cut away to commercial break when the head injuries happen, and they, they won't show you all the stuff necessarily because they're oh this is a oh man that guy his his knee got slashed open and it's now it's facing backwards. Let's go to commercial because if people saw some of the injuries, they might actually be less comfortable watching football and we, we need them to be watching the football. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just something that I, I saw a few videos and a few articles posted leading up to the Super Bowl of people bringing this up. And I saw a few weeks ago on Gospel Coalition, there was like a four views on should Christians still be watching football, knowing what we know now about the high level of traumatic brain injuries that these that like every player has who has played in the NFL basically is it still like a Christian thing to do? Obviously, it's a Christian liberty issue, but I don't know. It's worth. So you should do that at your Paul Jacks conference next year. Mm. Yeah, get Tim <laughs> Tebow, Tim Greg. Tebow in. We're gonna get Tim on Tebow, the NFL. and we're gonna have a conversation with him. That'd be fantastic. And Tom Brady, bringing my mm. man, my boy Tom. You quoted Tom in your book. Who blew it on Sunday? By the way. Well, I don't know mm. if he blew it. He threw for 500 yards and three touchdowns. That's true. And he had a very, very good day. Just the other team was better. But guys, this is not a sports podcast. This is a church and theology and life and, and a culture podcast and a podcast that people turn to on their commutes or when they're at home and they're just killing time or yeah. they just want a, uh, a little bit of uh, learning to go on in their mind. And so we should switch to that right now. Um, not that that wasn't helpful at the beginning Greg and Andy. No, it's you, you're the host, man. Do what you want? I'm ready to move forward. Thanks, Andy. Just want to make sure you were. I had your attention. What I want to talk about is uh, we all preached this weekend. We all had the opportunity of doing the Abe sermon. Mm. It was the first sermon we did mm-hmm. of the new Abe series. Abe being short for Abram, which and being short for Abraham. Which was which was amusing because my son was in church and I introduced Abram, Abram, and before I started uh, reading the passage, I explained to people that 
You might be wondering why I'm referring to Abram and Sarai and uh, explained their names are going to get changed later in the story. But it was funny because Nancy told me afterwards that Tristan had leaned over to her right as I switched into answering that going, who's this Abram guy? (laughs) I know Abraham. (laughs) So it was was just perfect. Nancy was just laughing. She's like, and then you answered it. Yep. Yeah, I know. I I had to do that. I think one of the sermons, I forgot to do that until a little bit in. And I was like, oh, uh, just so you know, same guy. <laughs> same in guy. case you knew. <laughs> Apparently it's a whole new story. It's a very similar plot line. Same, same guy. <laughs> Dude, the, uh, the Sunday night crowd, they got all three. <laughs> I give them Abe, Abram, and Abraham. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard, man, in, your, in your mind to not go to one of them instead of the other. It's It's hard to be consistent in that. Uh, but some people might be wondering, why why did we choose the sermon series title of Abe? Maybe that's a good way to intro into Guys, this. I want to ask this question. Why did we name the series <laughs> Abe? <laughs> You're not allowed to ask the questions, Andy. You can just feed Daniel. Andy, I'm the host, all right? This is my podcast. This is not the Apologetics Canada podcast. This is the extra podcast, Okay. So if people want to listen to the extra po- the Apologetics Canada podcast, then go to iTunes. They can listen to the Apologetics Canada <laughs> podcast. And if they want to listen to the Northview Young Adults podcast, they can type in NYA podcast. You guys have your own podcast? Yeah, we do. Oh my god! Brutal. They can go NYA podcast and iTunes. But this is the extra podcast, just so just so everyone is clear. Perfect. Got it. Um, why do we name it Abe, Greg? I'm nope. looking at you. The the reason we named it Abe is because. Uh, obviously, he's an important enough uh, person in God's plan of salvation to do a biographical series on him. So he's not—he's not a nobody. He's a really important guy, but he's also just a guy. He, he's just a, a dude who who God used. And so uh, the the move to calling the series Abe is our our tip of the hat of saying, look, he's just a regular guy. Yeah, this story isn't about—it's not about. Abraham. Yep. It's about God and how he uses That was actually Abraham. the title of my talk uh, sermon was, uh, this, uh, this is God's story. In fact, I had two points. What's the name of your sermon? Uh, well, the, the, the title was uh, uh, The God of Abraham. The God of Abram. Do you guys... The God of Abe. Do you ever tell the people your title in your sermon? No. No. Yes, I don't but, but I like to put it down because it keeps me, as I'm thinking through what I'm going to speak on, helps me keep on point. Mm. At any rate, but then the two points, and I, I, you guys know I'm normally a one-point guy, but I really branched out, went to two points. Wait, no, but they were, it was actually really only one point, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the best part. Is really? uh, Yeah, point number one was this, this is God's story, and then point number two, this is still God's story. So... So one point. Were those really your points? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> why, why, why divide into two points? Because I loved it. Because uh, I, I, I divided this uh, this passage yeah. into the same as you did. Uh, Genesis verses one to nine, yeah. gen- twelve one to nine was this is God's story, yeah. and then uh, ten to twenty, this is still God's story. Oh. And, and the, this this for me was significant because you got the first half of the story. Abe is just killing it. He's getting it all right, following the Lord. God's, you know, got him on this journey. Uh, and then a famine happens, you know, and everything. And, and I, I mean, as I just thought about that 
that passage though, and I don't know how you know you guys if you're meditating through this. I was just thinking to myself, man, if I had uprooted my entire family because this God was speaking to me, and I'm I'm bringing everybody out into the middle of nowhere, you know, 1,800 kilometers away in total mm. from Ur to Canaan. I mean that that that's a lot of pressure, right? And now you take them into the middle of nowhere, and a famine comes, and you're thinking to yourself, uh, I don't know about this. Right. I mean, could you imagine you would you would feel the pressure to yeah. want to help this God fulfill his promises? Totally. Yeah, for sure. One of the things I was talking about in my sermon is, is this is just Abraham implementing his plan of staying alive. Right. His his move to Egypt is just his plan to keep himself alive so that God can do what he said he was going to do. And and even his his kind of shady move with his his wife sister deal he is still just just him doing normal human stuff like just trying to stay alive right he's looking at the situation around him and he's making the best decision he can about what do i do what kind of actions can i take to make sure that i'm still going to be taken care of and even if it means lying and being deceitful, he's going to do it in order for the bigger purpose of staying alive. Which is often what we do, right? That's kind of the parallel. What with broken what we do. people do. Yeah, when the stuff goes bad. I mean, how often when something goes bad, the last thing we do is, like, not the first thing we never do is pray. We usually mm. just try and make it right and, and try and work, like, fix it on our own. That's normally than the last God. thing we do when we are completely out of options. Yeah, then, then we pray. Like, maybe, I should, maybe I should pray about this. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but mm. that's why we called the sermon series Abe. And, mm. and basically, that was one of the things that I was talking about at first. It's just this idea, and you guys see this, you know, how we'll take people and just put them up on a pedestal and just yeah. say, hey, look at look at Abe, man. Look how great he is, right? Or take your favorite author, take your favorite preacher. Um, uh, you know, we, we just, that's what we'll do. We'll just put them up on that t- pedestal. And I think we just got to be so cautious of that, especially when we do that with Bible characters. And this is... This is one of those issues that just gets me fired up, and so I was ex- I was excited to speak on this passage on Sunday, because uh, those of you with children, this is something you got to be careful of: is when you take these Bible characters, you put them up on a pedestal, and you you only read for them, you know, verses one to nine, and you forget that Moses wasn't ashamed of telling you verses ten to twenty, hmm. uh, and in fact, this is an important key to understanding the Bible correctly. Because, listen, I have a 10-year-old, and we've been challenging him to read the Bible. Tristan has read Genesis. He's read Exodus. He's had into Leviticus. And we've had some interesting questions that have come up as he's reading. But because he's reading the full Abram story, right? And if all, if you've only given him the hero portion, mm. you've, you've, you've given him, you know, you haven't given him the full picture. And then they start to think, Man, you lifted this guy up in a pedestal and told about how great he is, but he was willing, like a weenie, right, to give up his wife to Pharaoh and allow her to become one of his harem, a concubine of Pharaoh. And just give that some thought for a moment of what all that entails, right? And that's not a hero. And Moses wants you to know that. Mm. Because again, though, this is, I think, the challenge that we get into, we'll fall into, is where we want to make the story about Abe. Yeah. The yeah. story isn't about Abe, it's about God working through Abe. And if I could just say one more thing, Daniel. Say one more thing. And then thing. I'll jump off this, because I wish I could have said this on Sunday, I didn't mm. have time. And that was, I don't know how you guys do your devotions, but as a family, uh, we at the Steigers, we read the Bible together after dinner. And we, we read this uh, 
Bible for with our kids. It's called like the Gospel Story Bible, and ends <clears throat> it ends every story with Jesus. So it's telling you about Abe, but it's telling you about Abe, and then and then it's going to go. But look at but look at Jesus. Look at how Jesus fulfilled this. Mm. And it was interesting because this last week, uh, Tristan, as we were coming to the end of the story, he goes. And here comes Jesus. You know, he was just <laughs> anticipating, right? Here comes the Jesus part. And here we come. And, and really, as Christians, though, that's the kind of attitude we should have mm. when we're reading the Bible. Mm. Here comes Jesus. You know what I mean? But but how often is that not the case? Mm. Because we've kind of polished or sugarcoated characters like King David or whoever it is. Uh, and, and we haven't seen, no, 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 the Bible goes out of its way to show you their flaw. Because it's, and, and this is, I think, one of the keys is that their flaw is not a weakness. It is a strength when you see that this is God's story and look mm-hmm. at what God does through broken people. Yep. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians, you know, it's in my weakness that your power is made perfect, right? Mm-hmm. All right, I'm done, Daniel. That's great. Greg, anything you, you didn't get to say in your sermon that you wish you could have said? Uh, so in my the first point of my sermon, I was, I was making the point that we're not Abe. Um, so when we come to stories in the Old Testament, it's it's often the strategy that's often in, implemented by by us as readers and even by by preachers and teachers is to turn these stories into direct um, promises for us. So it's a one to one. What Abraham was promised, what Abram was promised in Genesis chapter twelve, is identical to what we're promised. And so, so God's going to give you. A blessing, right. Greg. Greg, he's going to make you into a great give you nation. The land. And he'll Greg, give you the land. You're going to get the land right. across the Fraser. You understand? Totally. So This is a word for you. That's right. So one of the things I didn't say in in this whole part was I actually think that there's a there's a layer beneath the Jesus. So I was I talked about Jesus being us reading ourselves into every text. I think the the fuel of Jesus is uh, a smoothie called syncretism. So syncretism being that idea of just like blending together views from the scriptures and also views from the surrounding culture. And I think the the religious view of our surrounding culture is that of the worship of me. So just look look at the movies that are made, look at the Disney movies that are made, look, look at the speeches that are given. Everything is about the the honor and the glory of the individual and, and their their purposes their their good all that kind of stuff their self actualization and self discovery and so whatever it is that's going to make you be the most true you is a good thing no matter what because really what our culture is the, the bale of our culture the the pagan god of our culture is is me and so i think when you blend together in a smoothie the the me worship with passages of the scriptures, I think that ends up fueling the Narsa Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that that's why these people like the Osteens and the T.D. Jakes and the Stephen Furtick's and those people and their, their, their narcissistic ministries. For those who are unfamiliar with narcissism, yep. what is that? Yeah. So narcissism is the, uh, when you call someone a narcissist, you are saying that that person is completely obsessed with themselves. So it comes from the Greek mythological story of, of narcissist, who is a Greek god who uh, was disinterested in everybody except for his own reflection. He was, he was captivated by this beauty that he saw in the, in the water before him. 
Um, and so we call people who are obsessed with themselves narcissists. So narcissus is a phrase that people have been coining on the interwebs to talk about the practice of people reading themselves into every text. Mm. And, uh, and I, my, my point that I, I wanted to get at to, to make sense of why people do this and why it's such a popular thing for us to embrace. So for in this case, they'll read themselves into verses one to nine, not 10 to 20. Totally. Cause yeah. that's crazy. We would never do that. But, but the promises that God gives Abraham, we insert ourselves as the recipients of those equally. So, so we don't run them through the lens of how does Christ fulfill these? And then how do we receive the intended blessings of this promise through Christ's fulfillment of it? We just say, God promised Abraham a lot of stuff. We're going to get a lot of stuff. God promised Abram a new, a new land. We're going to get a new land. Um, and so I think that the danger of that is... Uh, children. Right. All kinds of... You just claim the promises as, as what God wants to give directly to you. And one of the things I was kind of trying to apply this with was just saying, what this ends up making is people... Who have who have faulty expectations of what God actually intends the normal Christian life to look like. Mm. So we look at these promises in the scriptures, we look at different experiences described in the scriptures, and we say that's a normal Christian life. Giants get defeated like King David, or or the still small voice will come to me when I'm isolated like it did to Elijah. And we look at these different stories that are described and we turn them into a normal part of a Christian life following Jesus, and then we're disappointed. Because we've set up an expectation of what the Christian life looks like that God has never actually promised us. So uh, I'm concerned that in a culture like ours that drinks the smoothie of syncretism and that's so populated with preachers who narcissate their way through passages that to go through a story of a person in the Old Testament without us being careful about it, we could start thinking that this is directly for us not fulfilled in Christ and then for us, but directly to to us. And I think that if we do that, we're going to be really disappointed mm-hmm. by the end of the series. And oftentimes, too, we I think with the narcissism, we want to view ourselves in that best light. But then the, the bottom half of that Abraham right. text is actually more true to who we end up being as a broken right. person, as broken people. And I think you talked about this in your uh, sermon, Daniel, uh, with regards to, say, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, well, the Good Samaritan, the guy gets beaten up, and uh, we always identify ourselves with the Samaritan, you know, who helps the guy who was beaten up on the side of the road, not with the priest who walked by, not with the lawyer who walked by, you know, the busy people. Whereas, this, but do we, we, we're always the Good Samaritan, but how often actually are we the person who walks by? Mm-hmm. Or even the guy who's beaten up? Like, we never read ourselves into that person. Well, as though, you know, when Jesus was giving the parable, you know, as though he was giving it to the guy, you know, saying the parable to him because he goes, listen, I I want you to know how awesome you are. You're the you're the good guy in the story. He's like, no, actually, you're the you're the guy that doesn't get it in the story. That's why I'm telling you the story so that you can begin to see that that you're broken and you messed up and you need uh, you need a savior. Mm -hmm. Uh, and this is this is that that cha- this is definitely one of those challenges that we face where we need to start realizing. You know, I gotta I gotta read verses one to nine, understand them in their context. Same thing with verses ten to twenty. One of the things that 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 bothers me, uh, and I, I noticed this with some of the commentators I, I read on Abram uh, on Genesis twelve, 
they just wanted to kind of just skip past mm. verses 10 to 20. Mm. You know, so it's like there's almost there's almost this, this shame, you know, because we're not even sure what to do with that. But I mean, think about this. This to me, I think, is really interesting that you have Moses speaking to the Jewish people, telling them about the founder of their faith. They've just left Egypt mm. in which Pharaoh's the bad guy. And in this story, who's the good guy? Right. Yeah, Pharaoh comes Pharaoh. and makes the situation right. Yeah, he's the one who understands what a covenant is in the end. Right. Mm-hmm. He's like, that was your wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what were you thinking? Mm. You know, it, it's interesting that Moses is is making the point, yeah, that Pharaoh understood what a covenant was, but your forefather couldn't even get it right. Mm. He's doing that on purpose. He's. It's not like, and I think it's interesting about the Bible. The Bible does not sugarcoat mm. people. If it, In fact, I, I would say this. If you can find somebody in the Bible that the Bible doesn't tell you something negative about the person, it probably just doesn't tell you very much about the person. Yeah. Hmm. The only person you can think of is Enoch. Yeah. And there's just not a lot written about Enoch. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just it. I mean, if you look in the lives of people and you look long enough, you're going to see brokenness because people are broken. Yeah. And, and ultimately, this should point us to our need for a Savior. Hmm. Uh, and, but, the, but the problem is what you're getting out of there... Uh, uh, Greg, is that if you don't read your Bible correctly, you'll absolutely be confused as to what's happening. Want to just kind of sidestep those awkward passages because they don't fit with your narcissistical reading of it. Mm. And, and it's important that we understand it correctly that, yeah, we should have that, oh, here comes Jesus again, mm-hmm. right? Because it, it, it's pointing us to our brokenness and our need for Savior. And part of our brokenness I, I would say, and I, I think you agree, Graves, is that we want to read ourselves into the good guy yeah. portion of the text yeah. and see how this is about me and what I'm going to get and, and not see, oh, this is about God's story of what he's doing and the purposes he's going to accomplish through Jesus. Right. Yeah. yeah. And when you recognize the failings of Abram, because this isn't his only one, it's not like, it's not like oh, he started so out rough. Ones are coming. There, there's other ones coming. You, you understand more Jesus's... Um, chastisement of the religious leaders who wear as a badge of pride that they are children of Abraham. Right. And mm-hmm. and you get why the new Testament talks so much about why the, the reason Abraham's so great in the story is because he demonstrated faith in God who called him to respond. That's why he's, he's emulatable. That's why we should, we should try to be like Abe is in how he responded in faith, but, but he's, it's not a badge of pride to say, yeah, look, he's so great. He gets to be my, my dad. No, Jesus point is look, even if that's nothing, nothing to be proud of that in and of itself. Right. This is where I think the gospel is interesting. How, what, what does Matthew start his gospel with? Chapter one, verse one, here's the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus beginning with Abraham, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And then it leads you through this genealogy of absolute broken people, mm. right? That includes, includes a laundry list mm. yeah. of all sorts of sins, including prostitution and murder. Mm-hmm. And this is the line that Jesus comes from. Yep. But again, that's not a weakness. Right. When you understand the story correctly, right. you're like, wow, that's Christianity's strength. Look what God does. Yeah, that's yep. where my sermon, that's where I took mine at the end, is I tried to just pitch, say, here, here's where we're going with the the whole story of Abraham. We're trying to move into, you know, we're going to tell the story, but it's pointing to mm. Christ ultimately coming. And so you see with, uh, like when he says, I'm going to make you a blessing, mm. uh, you know, through you, Abraham, 
yeah, he ends up maybe being a blessing to those around him in his immediate sphere. And eventually, yeah, people in his line become a blessing. But ultimately, the true blessing is fulfilled in Jesus, who will come and is yeah. the true blessing. And then uh, the idea of this, um, like, I'm going to give you this land, Abram. Uh, the, this this idea of like the, you know, we have Abraham's promises land. Then we see Moses. It's a foreshadowing to Moses and the promised land. Mm. And then that is ultimately a foreshadowing, as the author of Hebrews will say, mm-hmm. of the eternal kingdom, mm-hmm. of of the the final promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. And so I, I would try to show that this is all just foreshadowing to what's to come. And again, it's just, where's Jesus in the text? Well, here he comes. And the end of it, you just basically say, my goodness, yeah. you know, my, my Lord and my God, I, I must fall down before you because you have been faithful. So I, I went with my points. I said, you know, we have a faithful start from Abraham. Mm. He, he's like, he did a great job. And like a lot of us, right, we, we believe and mm. we have a faithful start. And then the second one's an unfaithful man. Mm. That was my second point. Ultimately, we become unfaithful. Mm. But who's faithful the whole time? And it's God. And so the final point I had was um, a faithful God. So, Yeah, and one more thing on that is I think the the key to the story of Abraham is that it reveals God's character. And that's the key of all of the the Old Testament stories and stories. circumstances and situations is it reveals to us more about who God is. And so this is why it it actually, Paul makes the argument in Romans that it it is a benefit to be Jewish because when you're Jewish, you have embedded in your own story of history, God's working through history to reveal himself. So when he comes and when people say, whoa, if, if faith in Jesus is like the only thing that really matters, then what's the benefit of actually being Jewish? And Paul's argument is the benefit is like all of this stuff is an infrastructure that is already in place in your mind of who God is. And now Jesus reveals it most clearly. And he's the one that actually delivers on all the promises that God has promised. Of course, it's a benefit still. Mm-hmm. It, the Gentiles are at a, at, at a bit of a disadvantage because they're, they, they have to learn the story over time. They, they come in t- with faith in Jesus, but then they have to learn about who is this Jesus, who's the son of God, who, who is this God mm-hmm. that he's the son of. And so this is why I think for us Gentiles, a series like this is really helpful because what we're doing is we're learning how God has revealed himself through his people, through history. And so we're going to get to see God more clearly because of this sermon series, I think. On that note is if we tell the story correctly, totally. right? Then that's the, that's the key. Yeah, we, we need to know these stories, but we need to know them in their, their fullness because that's where the power is found. That's where the, the real beauty of what Jesus came and, and did yeah. is, is understood. So, Daniel, permission to ask a question? Granted. Okay, so what, the thing that I, I was asked the most after my sermon by, by email, and Andy, I need you to help correct or help bring some clarity here, okay? So I, I made the case that we, we shouldn't read ourselves into the passages and say that that text means that exactly for me. So how are we supposed to know when we're reading the scriptures, how are we supposed to know what, what it means to us? Right? Like if, because people were, were trained by our culture and by some other, you know, just picking it up that, that, that the Bible stories are for us because they're a direct correlation to us. But, but if that's not the right way to read the Bible, 
then how are we supposed to actually read the Bible so that we know what, like, surely there's some good for us that God's intending us to understand. So how do we actually learn what's for us? See, and this is why it's so important that we understand how to read it correctly, because I would actually argue that when you don't read it correctly, what you do is you actually shortchange yourself to want to take something out of the story as though it's for you that's actually ultimately lesser than what God's seeking to communicate to you. And so to understand that correctly, then we do something called hermeneutics. We we, uh, which, by the way, is the, the science of interpretation is how do we understand what this author is see, or authors are seeking to communicate? And we do this when we read anything. Mm. But for some reason, this would be an interesting study, why, why it is that when we come to the Bible, uh, we throw that normal hermeneutic that we'll use when I read a novel or when I'm reading the news or when I'm reading the, you know, the weather or whatever it is, I, an, I throw it email, up the window or an, an email. email you get from a friend, <laughs> from a friend. I throw, you know, when, when you know, I, I get it right when I read all those. But when it comes to the Bible, I throw that all out the window. And then I, I jump into Genesis chapter 12 as though it was written in the 21st century to me. And, and the reality is, is that when you read the Bible, you need to appreciate when it was written and who it was written to and who wrote it. In the same way you would do that for any novel or whatever yeah. you wrote, or, uh, sorry, read, or or history book. Like a primary source. Like right. any, yeah. Like if, are you thinking, like if I'm reading Aristotle or something yeah. like that. He's writing to a specific audience. You can help understand those ideas and what Aristotle is trying to communicate to his people. Go, yeah. go on, go on. Yeah, it, exactly. So you do this with any document. Uh, so, so that when we come to uh, Genesis, we see that it, it's written by Moses. The first five books of the Old Testament are written by Moses. This is, this is written to the Jewish people. This was written um, 4,000 years ago. This was written a long time ago, specifically when we're talking about the story of Abe, uh, of Abram. And we begin then to start looking into the context of wh- what is being uh, communicated. Mm. Now, that, that becomes a portion of where, where we understand that story and we understand what Moses is doing. Uh, now that story becomes a much larger story when we're looking at Abe, the the father of the Jewish people, and we see that the story of the Jewish people doesn't stop in Genesis; it continues, you know, all the way into the New Testament. This is like reading um, the Chronicles of Narnia, or is like reading uh, the Lord of the Rings. You know, you you read book one. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's there's uh, 66 books uh, to read as you continue that journey uh, so that we begin to see. I mean, I mean, for those people who have watched um, Lord of the Rings or if you've read the books, right? If you stopped at book one and then tried to make your conclusions of what all took place and the character of people and everything, you would be absolutely confused, mm-hmm. right? Because you realize... Tolkien is writing a story that is a much larger narrative, and if you're going to understand it, you got to read all three books. Same thing with the Bible; you got to read the whole story. You don't. This is one of the problems that I that I uh, talk about with hermeneutics between a bird's eye perspective and a worm's eye perspective. Mm-hmm. So, a worm's eye perspective is I'm going to just jump in. I'm going to read some words, right? I'm going to take a very narrow focus of it. Well, then I can do whatever I want with those words. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you if you want to understand the you know the context, you, you take a bird's eye view. You see the whole of, of of what's being communicated, and what we see then is, th- and this is where I get concerned for people, Greg, is 
people will say, oh, but these promises are for me. And it's like, yeah, they're for you, but not in Genesis chapter 12. Mm. You got to finish the story to understand how these promises are for you. Because if you just stop in Genesis 12, then you're talking about a physical land and a physical inheritance. That's not what God promised you. He promised you an eternal land and an eternal inheritance that is found in Jesus Christ. And it's way bigger than a plot of land by the ocean in the Middle East. Mm. Come on, Andy. I'm getting fired up. You're getting fired up. You're breathing heavy and stuff. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I don't know. Do you disagree with what I've just said there? Greg? No, I love it. The other, uh, another layer to add to it is when, when we're reading the Bible, I, I think it's helpful for us to try to figure out is, is what I'm reading uh, a, a prescription for me of how I ought to live? Or am I reading a description of what happened to someone? Those are two very different things. Like in the in the Old Testament, we have a lot of descriptions. Yes, we have some prescriptions: do not murder, do not lie. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of the commands in the Psalms about about worshiping God and about telling our our soul, like t- talking to ourselves, that in the midst of hard times, still worship God. Yes, there, there's prescriptions there. There's there's commands there. But when we read. Uh, this is what I ought to do, or this is what I ought to expect into the descriptions of stories in the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, then then I think we're setting ourselves up to just misunderstand what authors are trying to do. And people will cherry pick that because notice nobody is reading uh, descriptively that uh, Abram had some slaves, right? Now, right. They, they could have been employees, uh, you know, servants. I don't know. You could make the argument that they were slaves. God tells you that that's the case, but that's descriptive. That totally. isn't prescriptive. Right. And, and this is why when people will chastise Christians about saying, see, like Christians have defended slavery forever. It's until only recently. Well, th- the Christians who are defending slavery were doing so because of their eisegesis. They were doing so because of their bad reading of the Bible. For them to read that description as a prescribed intended thing from God is to just be bad Bible readers. So did Christians endorse slavery based on the Bible? Yes, but only because they read the Bible poorly. What? And just a caveat there, were there Christians fighting slavery? Oh, Absolutely. Sure. But were they writing, reading their Bible incorrectly? No, they were reading it correctly. Mm. I think that's such an important point for people to understand. I mean, I've read and I've quoted uh, Gregory of Nyssa to people, a writer from the fourth century, arguing against slavery, mm. right? I mean, Christians have been arguing against it for a long time, but it's very easy to go in there, cherry pick out what yeah. you want, yeah. and then to justify what you want. Yeah. All right, man. That I just ha- ended really abruptly. That. I was loving it, but uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a huge conversation, but I think it's a good a good start of, of you know what, keep the bird's eye view of what's going yeah. on there and try not to read into everything that's described as something that is intended to be prescribed for us. And I think if we start there, I think we're going to be in a better spot when it comes to Bible reading. See Mm. the bigger story. Yep. See the bigger story. And we're going to be seeing the rest of that bigger story next week on Sunday, 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 Abe, and Saturday night. Saturday night. And Saturday night and Sunday night. Abe, chapter 13, right? I don't know where we are next week. I think it's 13. Well, we've just did all 12. Maybe it's not 13. The next part of the story of Abe next week, and we'll discuss it afterwards. You can send in your questions. Thanks for joining us, Greg and Andy Steiger. 
I know you're a busy man, Andy, with your conference and organization and all that. So for you to carve out the time for us is just a blessing. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Andy. 